Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. So later on, we're going to have a chat with Mark Pearson, who is the technical lead for the Lenovo PC Linux team, about their ARM laptop. But first, we need to talk about the challenge that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, the nested virtualization challenge. It was pretty straightforward. How many levels deep can you get? And it turns out four. Four is how many you can get. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly four. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) pretty much. So what you had to do was use virtualization to get as many levels deep as you could. And to qualify, you had to be able to get to our website, linuxafterdark.net, and screenshot it. I actually only managed three, but I think the rest of you all managed four. Well, with some caveats, but we'll talk about that. So I could have cheated, I think, and done it headless except for the last one but i wanted to do it in a more fun way so i did it with vert manager and guis all the way did anyone else try and cheat with headless or did you have a full gui stack for all of them no i thought about doing headless but ultimately yeah realized that it was more of a pain in the ass than it was worth yeah my first attempt was a net install of two distros and then i realized that it was just easier to have a virtual display connected to each one because it quickly became clear that what i thought would be the limitations weren't the limitations and actually you didn't need to go that slim right so on that note i actually did this on the framework because i have more ram in my laptop than i do in my desktop right now well, I thought I was going to win this because I've got an i9-9900K with 64 gigs of RAM, but it just doesn't matter, does it? Once you get four deep, it's just not happening. Yeah. I just use KVM all the way down to the third guest that was running. And the third guest was the first time I noticed some slowdown. So the first virtual machine booted fine, as they always do. The virtual machine inside the virtual machine also booted fine, was completely responsive. I'm sure if I pushed it, I would have started to notice. The third one was noticeably slower to boot, but not bad. And yeah, the fourth one is just where it really (laughs) starts to fall apart. So my first one was Bunsen Labs, which is Debian 11 with Openbox. I ran Fedora 37 XFCE inside that. Then I ran Endeavor OS i3 inside that. But I realized that (laughs) tiling window manager was actually not that helpful so i ended up installing plasma because by that point i was like wow i have loads of resources left in terms of ram and disk space which is what i assumed i would struggle with so actually i'm going to install plasma to give myself a gui to muck about with the fourth one which i won't talk about yet but what about you guys yeah i did very similar i assumed that ram cpu and disk would be the constraints so ended up I've got 16 gigs of RAM in the host and an eight-threaded CPU. So pass through eight CPUs, as much disk as I could muster, and I think 12 gigs of RAM to the first guest, and then went in increments of two gig less from there. So I did 10 gig, eight gig. So the top layer was Ubuntu. Then I went for Debian XFCE and then Manjaro. Well, I gave it 40 gigabytes of RAM and then went in increments of four because I thought, why not? I'm probably not going to get to 10, so... That should be fine. And I started with, I think, like 100 gigs of disk, and I just did not need anywhere near that in the end. (laughs) Exactly the same with the disk. It's like, yeah, yeah. I was confident that I was going to get much further into this. I didn't realize that there were known limitations of the way hypervisors and instruction sets work. (laughs) So, yeah. The first time I realized that there was a problem is I thought, okay, 
the fourth guest, I will finally have a go at OpenSUSE. And oh my God, <laughs> I loaded the KVM virtual display and loading CBIOS, which is what it uses for legacy booting. It was like using a Commodore 64 loading from a cassette tape. Yeah. Like it literally <laughs> teletyped each character of each line. And I was like, what? And then the grub menu came up and I was like, that took about 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, I had never realized that that border around the grub menu is actually drawn with characters. I just, it had never occurred to me until I saw it being drawn in front of me. Exactly that. <laughs> line by line. So I had a Zubuntu guest, first of all, because I thought, let's start with what we know. And then I did Endeavor OS, which is Arch. And oh, that turned out to be such a pain in the ass because it turns out that after you install Vert Manager, it doesn't start Libvert automatically. You have to manually start that. So that took me longer than it should have to work out what was going on there. And then I did a Debian XFCE. I did it all XFCE because I'm boring. What can I say? <laughs> and... Then in the Debian, I tried OpenSUSE and it was just, I just gave up before it booted. I tried loads of stuff and just didn't have the patience. But eventually I thought, right, aha, I'm going to cheat. Tiny Core. And that did boot to the desktop, but there was no network on it. So I couldn't open the browser and screenshot. So I <laughs> almost did it. If I'd spent more time trying to work out what was going on with the network, I probably could have got to four, but I just didn't have the patience or time in the end. And um, I, it was funny, actually, in the Debian one, I had to mess around with some of the uh, network to actually get network into the VM. And it, it sort of started to get more and more ropey the more levels deep I got and uh, more hacky with stuff like that, I found. So I ended up with a false start on the first try. I tried to install vanilla OS in the outside VM. And I had Virgil turned on, which I think is what killed it, because the installer ran and got to like the last steps, and then all of a sudden, froze. Hard freeze, couldn't do anything with it. I have forced reset the VM, and the system booted, but I thought, uh, this doesn't seem right. So, wiped that one away, and started with Fedora Silverblue on the outside. Did you not think to just use a normal distro? No, who would do that? <laughs> it's a challenge, you gotta do something fun. Uh, second layer was Fedora Kyanite, Kia no white, whatever. And then on the third layer, I thought, I can't do another fedora, so uh, why not Devon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was System D causing all of your issues. Get rid of that, and you'll be you'll be able to get ten more virtual machines nested. <laughs> there was absolutely no way I was getting to ten, but I planned it out with that in mind. So two hundred gigs of disk and sixteen gigs of RAM, or eighteen, <laughs> no twenty gigs of RAM with two down each time. That didn't happen. <laughs> Now you end up with that fourth one having a lot of resources that it just can't use. I didn't end up at four even. So what happened was I got DevOne installed and it took hours to install DevOne. And then I thought, okay, well, I don't want to do that again. So wait, the we had internet. So I loaded up Dolphin, and this wasn't easy because Dolphin isn't in the Debian repositories anymore. And even if it was, it depends on libsystemd, so it would have gotten kicked out of tip one. <laughs> so I had to download the build dependencies for Dolphin and build it inside the third VM. Wow. <laughs> Which surprisingly worked really well. It just took a while, you know? And I booted it up 
and did all the stuff to get online setup working, which is you basically connect it to Nintendo's update servers and get all the Wii firmware onto your emulator and booted up the internet channel and tried to go to Linux after dark and it failed because our version of TLS is too new. (laughs) So I only got to three, but it would have been four, even though clicking the interface to like type in Linux after dark when at one character every five seconds. <laughs> I had a whole plan to work around the TLS thing because I was going to put an Nginx reverse proxy in the layer above <laughs> the really old OS and then reverse proxy the traffic through the layer above. Uh, but the, you say the fourth one, I just could not get to a point where I could get something running stably. I even got to the point where I installed Windows XP in a disk image in two layers above and i was going to r-sync it down (laughs) i thought about doing that as well but then i thought that would be a gray area well i so i did it i got the xp image r-synced the two layers deeper and then i left the thing booting for four hours while i went out for dinner (laughs) and it was still on there not even the xp with the three dots scrolling across like the pre bar that goes across the bottom in windows 2000 which i didn't even think existed in windows xp where it's literally loading the bootloader into memory yep absolutely (laughs) Uh, and yeah four hours later it was just sat with that on the screen so i gave up and turned off my laptop and went to bed but yeah so i probably could have gotten the wii one to work although it would have involved some hosts file bashing or running a bind server maybe in the thing above and then pointing the wii's dns at it but (laughs) it probably wouldn't have been worth it dalton sent a screenshot that he was running dolphin and i thought yes i'll copy him and if i'd used an emulator i think i would have got to three and a half because i copied you so i got a nintendo ds emulator downloaded a rom of the web browser but then there was no Wi-Fi connectivity inside the emulator. I found a way to make it work, but only in Windows. So I was like, no. I tried the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so then I thought, okay, what's the smallest Linux distro? I didn't use TinyCore. I tried Slitas, but Slitas was just as bad as OpenSUSE. The same CBIOS problem. I left it for ages. It didn't boot. Then I tried a PS Vita emulator because I heard <laughs> that that could do modern certificates. I didn't have XDG desktop portal installed, so I couldn't actually choose the firmware file to load into the emulator. So I gave up on that. Then I tried to do a PS3 emulator, which has a dev mode browser. I switched into that and downloaded the firmware successfully. But when you boot it, it has to compile the PPU modules, which on a host modern system doesn't take that long. But on this, no. So then I thought, I'm going to make guest three Windows 7 and try BlueStacks to emulate Android in the fourth guest. What are you doing? Was the fourth device, yeah. <laughs> but Windows 7 would not install at all. And that was a win for Linux, I think, because Endeavor at guest level three was usable. Windows, I couldn't even boot the installer. So I flipped back to guest four and I finally remembered when we looked at Morph OS that Dalton had run on an old Mac. Oh. I'd run it on QEMU or QMU. And I thought, right, we're going to have a go at this. So I used the QMU arguments and it booted really quickly. And I was like, yes, this is the winner, but there was no internet. So I needed to bridge internet into it. So then I tried emulating a Raspberry Pi, but it was too slow because I've done that for work before for compiling some stuff for ARM64. So I went back to Slitas, tried to boot that and left it all day. It wouldn't boot. 
Then I went back to the Raspberry Pi and I was, I got into a desktop. I still couldn't get the internet. And then I finally remembered that you can use a bridge and tap interface to get networking in QMU. So I booted MorphOS with a bridge set up and a tap with a device that that architecture would recognize. I had to emulate a PowerPC Mac 99, meaning it's from 1999, with half a gig <laughs> of RAM, and then present it with a network adapter that it would have the drivers for. It took me half an hour to load the web browser because it has to cache all the funds. And then just after that, MorphOS is payware. So after half an hour, you have to pay 79 euros. Otherwise, it gets scaled back to a single core. And I just about managed to type linuxafterdark.net in, press enter, and it loaded. And I sent a screenshot. And I, was, I, I felt incredibly victorious about something which is utterly, utterly pointless. <laughs> and then I was like, trying anything beyond this is going to be insanity. And that's when I decided to look up, and I, I don't know if Joe's going to put it in the show notes, I found a very well-written article with graphs on the Red Hat website, on their blog, which is called Inception, How Usable and Nested KVM Guests. And they get exactly to, they call the first guest, guest zero. So I think they get guest zero, one, two, three. So they get four, and that's when it all falls apart. And it's not to do with RAM, it's not to do with disk space, it's to do with hypervisors and the VTX instruction set, not knowing where to throw everything around when you're nesting that much stuff, I think. Well, I think Chris wins then. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Chris won. Yeah, okay. So we did think about doing some more of these kind of challenges, but then we realized that it takes an awfully long time to do them. So if anyone's got any ideas for challenges, then do let us know, but we can't guarantee that we will do them. But just silly stuff like this, if you want us to do them, then send them in. You can email show at linuxafterdark.net. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Tailscale. Go to tailscale.com. Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point -point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer -peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com and try it for free on up to 20 devices. That's tailscale.com. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can find out more at linuxafterdark.net slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Late Night Linux. And like I said, if you want to get in contact, you can email show at linuxafterdark.net. So when we talked about our hopes for 2023, the Lenovo X13S came up. That's their relatively new ARM laptop that comes with Windows. And we'd kind of talked about whether it could run Linux and, and what the prospects for that were. Well, Mark Pearson, who works for Lenovo, 
he's the technical lead for the Lenovo PC Linux team, got in touch with us with quite a detailed email. And so we replied to him and said, why don't you come on the show and talk to us about it? After a little bit of back and forth, we sorted it out. And so let's hear that now. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Hello. So you listened to what we said about the X13S laptop, and you were compelled to write to us about it. What did we get wrong? It wasn't so much that you got, got things wrong. I just You had some points that you were making, as I recall, in, in the show, and it was like, oh, I can shine some light on what's actually happened with that project. Just wanted to explain what it was. From my point of view, it's, it's a very different platform to any of our other Linux certified devices, right? Because this one's been done more as a background proof of concept project, working with the community, working with ARM and Linaro, and just to see where we could get it. So it's not an official Linux platform. So I don't know how much people know about it. I just figured as you were talking about it, I want to make sure you, <laughs> you knew what was going on. Yeah. Because the information that I have about it was effectively spilled uh, when we got invited to the Ubuntu Summit in Prague. There were some leaked screenshots. Uh, I think some people from ARM did a couple of presentations where it was mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, definitely a curiosity of mine <laughs> as to whether it'd be something I could go and buy. Yeah, no, and that, that wasn't leaked. So, so we've been working with them. I did a presentation at DevConf and I've mentioned it before. So, and I think, I don't know which screenshot you got. There's one floating around that is from my kitchen of the, of it running Debian on there. So I don't know if they use that one or not. I'm not sure. I wasn't able to make it to, to that particular conference. Essentially, we've been doing this as a proof of concept project. So most of our platforms, uh, Linux certified, so we work with hardware vendors, we get them certified with Ubuntu, we might put a Fedora preload on it, we'll do Red Hat certification, and we sell them online. You can go to, it's, Europe's great, actually, but you can go online and buy it with Linux. And so the X13S is, is not that. The X13S is saying, you know about it, it's this kind of, it's, it's an ARM laptop, it's got solid specs, it's got a, a the Snapdragon CPU, you can buy it up to terabyte hard drive, up to 32 gig memory. So it's, it's a nice laptop, but it's we've not done Linux on something like this before. So what happened, Arm came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in trying to put Linux on it? And we talked to him and we're like, sure. So we've got this collaboration going on with Arm and then some engineers at Linaro. And the aim is, let's try it. Let's see where the problems are. Let's see how much we can get going. We share some information with them under NDA that helps them do the development. They get some access to the engineer to ask questions. Uh, we're doing some work in the firmware that we can discuss a little bit. And we're seeing how far we can push it. And it's been really successful. It's been great. So I, I'm not sure what you saw or what they told you about how much was working, but Arm and Linaro have been amazing partners to work with. And they've, they've made a ton of progress. It, it's, it's very usable. It's not all there, but it's very usable. And... Uh, should be, we think, an interesting platform for maybe ARM developers to be able to work natively. Uh, probably not what you want as your day-to-day -day machine. There's some limitations, but I know there are people who are using it as that, which is interesting. But the webcam will probably never work in Linux. Is that right? The webcam is one of the big sticking points. It's a MIPI webcam. I don't know if you guys have followed what's happening in the Linux ecosystem with MIPI webcams, but they're hard work. There's a lot of IP in there. And it's not an easy thing to get working in Linux. So that's, that's a challenge generally. Part of it is, you know, this, this wasn't in the Linux program to start, start off with. So it's not in plan. So the, the webcam, I can't give you a definitive no, but it's quite unlikely at this point, just because of the time and the work involved to get it going. I'm not expecting it. 
Because it's not just drivers, in quotes, then. That's what Dalton was keen for us to ask you about. Everything's just drivers, right? (laughs) 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 There's a lot of IP in it, and you need to work with hardware vendors to get that done. And delivering it on Linux isn't isn't easy, right? Other hardware vendors are are still struggling with that too. I think there will be a a model. Again, I don't know how much you follow this. There's a lot of interesting work going on in LibCamera. There's definitely work going on in the kernel as well. So there will be MIPI support in Linux. That's definitely coming. So, you know, you can get the MIPI camera working on our Intel platform, but it's still not recommended. It's still, it's it's not ready. And and yeah, this platform is the same. So I think at the moment, the the camera doesn't work. And and if the camera is important to you, then it's it's not the right platform. (laughs) Fair enough. You mentioned the firmware stuff. Mm. In your email, you said that you're aiming to be able to just boot any Linux distro on it. The issue with firmware so is ARM platforms, they're device tree. They're using a device tree base. Their ACPI support is not there yet. I think that will come in the next few years, but right now, it's still device tree. So one of the things we're looking at, and this isn't officially confirmed, but it's like 95% at the moment. I was hoping to get the final sign-off before this, but I didn't quite manage to get that. So we will have a tweak in the firmware so that it reads in the device tree blob from the EFI partition, loads it, and then hands that onto the kernel. And then the kernel can just boot normally. So the distros will have to make some changes to make that device tree available, but it will all be there and it'll be the device tree itself will be part of the Linux kernel upstream and it'll just be a, a packaging issue at that point. So there'll be a, a Linux mode setting and you should, once the distros have done, done their work, be able to do that. We are working with the distro, so I can't share anything officially, but there's a ton of it. I mean, the Linux community is amazing, right? And there's a ton of enthusiasm out there for, for getting this working. So I think we'll see some solutions. I, again, I, I can't promise anything. I can't forecast the future, not yet. Um, but I, I'm pretty confident we'll, we'll have some solutions that work well. And so we should hopefully get to a situation where most distros will run on it with relatively little effort from those distro maintainers then? Yeah, that's the aim. That's the aim. So at least for this generation with the device trees, there will be a step in their installer they'll need to do to put the device tree blob where the firmware can pick it up. But that's pretty minor. And I think they'll be able to do that as part of their installer. And I'm hoping that it will become almost, you know, if you want to in- install it you just run their standard installer and off you go and so right now if uh, you install debian you have to do some little tweaks to get the efi variables working correctly and things like that and all of that should be should be ironed out so it's, you don't have to fight it and you can dual boot or single boot whatever you want to do that's the aim be a damn sight nicer than having to grab a custom image for each device yeah 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 exactly and so and, and that's it's a really important point so one of the things i've been really happy with and i do this generally with the Linux program is everything has to go upstream right because you can support one distro but that's not that's not what linux is mm. everything is upstream so uh, and and honestly kudos to the lenaro folk i'm not taking any credit for this this is all their hard work most of the patches are landing in 6.2 which is good so that's coming out not too long there's more happening in 6.3, and I think you'll see more improvements after that. Things like firmware blobs. There are firmware blobs, just a fact of life these days, but um, those are up in the Linux firmware repository. You know, we got permission to put those up there, and so you're not having to pull in separate pieces from different places. And yeah, so that's it. Everything should be there. This might be some packaging steps needed, but it should, should make it easy for any distro that wants to. That's the aim. And something you mentioned in your email was that people should give Lenovo feedback about wanting to run Linux on these devices. 
this is my ask, my favor to the community. Linux is awesome, right? We all know that, but um, the privacy is almost too good. <laughs> so we have no way of tracking if people are buying these and putting Linux on them. Absolutely none, right? There's no way. And, and that's general, to be honest. And obviously, we don't have a Linux preload. So it's not even like I can say, go to lenovo.co.uk and buy it. So the, the favor to ask is, if this platform is something that you're looking at getting, please let the Lenovo people know that you wanted to buy with Linux. So I think if you buy a system from us, you get a customer survey fairly soon after buying it. Just put in there, hey, yeah, bought this, like it. And I actually bought it to run Linux. My problem is, is we do this work and then I have to convince the product teams that, yeah, there's a market for Linux. There are people who use it. And going by the amount of interest that I'm getting in and hearing it mentioned on your show and, and things like that, I, I'm getting quite a lot of positive feedback, but I need to show the product teams. There's a market for this, genuinely. So any, anything people can do can help. And it's just a case of, yep, yeah, if you go buy it, just, just let them know that Linux was what you were really after. Because presumably you've got numbers for how many people bought the Fedora preloads and Ubuntu preloads. Well, actually, funny enough, I don't. <laughs> I'd like them. But uh, um, part of the problem is as well is uh, it, there's challenges with the online sales that we're still working on. Lots of people just can't buy the Linux preload in their country. So they go buy with Windows or maybe they go buy with no OS. Um, I think that's, a, that's the, something you can do in Europe. And honestly, I get it. And if they do that and go install their distro choice, it doesn't register as a Linux sale, right? We don't see it. So the web sales really help. And for anybody who does buy a Linux system, thank you. But uh, the reality is, is people are going to buy the cheapest system, the easiest way they can get. And know, which is the point of the program, know that they can put Linux on it with confidence. So the main aim is that you can get Linux running on your system without issues. So the rest of it is just proving that we exist. Well, thank you very much for joining us and telling us all about this. If people want to find out more about the Linux program or you, where should they go? So our Lenovo forums, we monitor those. If there's questions there, you know, they want to post questions publicly and get answers publicly. That's a really good place. They can just post them. And I think it's forums.lenovo.com slash Linux. I should know that off the top of my head, but it's pretty easy to find. They can email me. I'm Mark Pearson at Lenovo.com. Right, well, I'll link to the forums in the show notes then, and uh, hopefully speak to you again sometime. Alrighty, thank you. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>